Welcome to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Shreya. And I'm Teller. And we are your hosts for Q Talks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This time, we're also joined by Pranay, a second-year biological sciences PhD student at the MRC LMB in Cambridge, who is also a student partner for EF, so a warm welcome to him. Hi guys, it's great to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, then you might also enjoy a workshop that QTech is holding with EF on why starting a company is the most ambitious thing you could do with your career, and what some practical steps are that you could take towards that. So if you want to check it out, the link will be in the description. If you enjoy this episode and other QTalks episodes, then we'd really appreciate if you took the time to fill in a short form to help us improve the podcast, the link to which can be found in the description. This week on QTalks, we're talking to Johnny Clifford, General Manager at Entrepreneur First in London. Johnny oversees the London office of EF and brings together extraordinary people to build startups from scratch. He supported companies that have raised over $100 million in seed funding and previously ran the sales team for Satchel a Series A-funded edtech startup in the UK. Hi, Johnny. So thanks a lot for coming uh, on the show with us. And just to start, um, I'd like to ask a bit about your, your background and how you arrived at where you are now. So just a broad one to start with. What's your personal background? Yeah, um, well, thanks very much for having me. Um, I think I've got a slightly unusual uh, background for where I've ended up. Um, I started my career in 2009 as a primary school teacher. So I studied maths at university. Uh, Almost everyone at my university went into finance or consulting, and that didn't particularly excite me. So I moved to London, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went down the classic path of people who don't know what they want to do and, and went into teaching. Um, and it was a fantastic job. I uh, taught basically kids from five to 11 years old between uh, 2009 and 2013 at various schools in London. It was a lot of fun. Um, but it, it was not my calling and it wasn't something I thought I was going to do forever. So I ended up um, quitting my job, not sure what I wanted to do next. And um, I was introduced to one of the founders of an edtech company. Uh, It was a very small edtech company at the time. Uh, There was just about five people working there, I think. And um, I was introduced because they were looking to hire salespeople. Now, I'd not worked in sales, but I'd been a teacher for four years. So I was like, yeah, cool, I could probably do this job. Um, Exceptionally uh, naive of me to think that. Um, But it it worked out pretty well. And um, within... Within a couple of months, I was I was running the sales team there, um, which which grew from just me to uh, a team of about five people. And uh, by the time I left, two years after that, uh, we were a team of twelve in my sales team. There's a team of seventy people. We were working with one in three secondary schools in the UK, and we were doing about three million a year in ARR. Um, and Again, kind of, I I'd had a lot of fun there. It was a great place to work, but um, felt it was time to move on. And then an opportunity came to join uh, Entrepreneur First, uh, which I did back in late 2016, initially in a role which was looking at how do we help our portfolio companies go through a similar journey to um, 
the one that I'd been at at, um, at the company Show My Homework, now Satchel, uh, where you scale out a sales team between seed and series A. Uh, and then I moved into the kind of like leading on the company building program uh, back in early 2018. Uh, and I've been doing that ever since. And well, I guess like uh, towards summer of 2019, I then took over the uh, kind of like whole end-to-end running of Entrepreneur First in London. Fantastic. I think that's a really refreshing background and story that you've got. Um, so it's really great great for us to hear. Um, perhaps you can tell us what exactly is your role in EF today um, and what, what does it entail? Yeah, so I'm EF's general manager for London and what that essentially means is that I need to oversee all of the, I guess, big decisions uh, that we make in London uh, regarding our program. So that's everything from who do we attempt to attract and select onto our program? Um, how do we um, help those individuals build companies? And which companies do we invest in? And, and how do we help those companies to grow, raise money, scale uh, after they leave our program as well. So, so I kind of oversee all of that, um, different people uh, within my team that kind of focus on, on each different area. But, but my job is to kind of oversee the guess, key strategy and deliverables of, of all of that at Entrepreneur First in London. Great. And just to set the scene, could you give us an idea of what the program actually entails um, for people who embark on it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess like Entrepreneur First has been set up um, as an institution really to help those people who are entrepreneurially ambitious but don't yet have uh, a co-founder, don't yet have an idea that they are absolutely sold they want to work on. Uh, and so while we believe that there's like tons of great institutions out there such as accelerators, venture capital funds, even like angel investors that can help people who have a team and have an idea, there hasn't yet existed an institution that ex- that uh, serves the need of the individual. So you may be um, a very ambitious uh, individual that wants to do something big and impactful and important with your life and career. And starting a company might be something that is on your radar, but trying to find somebody else in your own network who is also equally ambitious and uh, excited about starting a company and also has a complementary skill set to you um, and doesn't kind of like look exactly like you on paper, that's really hard to, hard to do. Um, and so the basic premise of EF is that we say, well, we're going to select a, a critical mass of these people from all over the UK and, and Europe and say, what if we could find like the very best people who all want to start companies right now, but they don't yet have a co-founder and they don't yet know what idea they're going to work on. And if we select those individuals and we invest in them, we describe ourselves as a talent investor because we pay people to do our program. So we pay each person to do our program £2,000 a month for three months to give them the, the, the time, uh, the space and the right environment to see, can you find a co-founder and an idea from this group of people that we've selected um and so ef invests in people before they have a team before they have an idea and over the course of our um, program the goal of it is to find both of those things can you find uh, an idea and a co-founder that you are exceptionally excited about from this group of people that we've very carefully selected from the thousands of people we've met um can you find an idea and uh, and a co-founder that you're excited to to continue working with And, and those people that do pitch us for investment um we 
then invest in the companies that we think have the potential to get very, very big, very, very quickly. Uh, we take an equity stake for a 10% equity stake for £80,000 investment into the company. And then we help those companies that we've invested in to um, to scale to the point that they're ready to go out and raise a seed round uh, and then introduce them to uh, our network of investors. Um, and so that's the, that's kind of the basic premise of the program is that you, you join as an individual uh, and ideally leave with um, with a seed funded company. So I think a lot of us and a lot of the listeners would identify with what you're saying that in, you're interested in entrepreneurship, uh, but maybe you don't ha- know which idea you want to work on, or you don't have a co-founder. It almost sounds too good to be true that you're given this this three months to to you know find find all of that. Um, so I'm interested to know what what are the sort of outcomes from this program? How does um, what are the successes that EF has had that that means that this can this can exist? Yeah, I mean, and you're not the first person to say, hey, that sounds too good to be true, right? Like when we first um, came up with this concept 10 years ago, um, most, uh, you know, most established investors laughed us out of the room because they said, you just, this won't work. Maybe you find some people that find some ideas, but these won't be lasting relationships and these won't be lasting companies. I think the the stats from the last, you know, I guess like eight years or so of, of actually running programs prove that's not the case we've had pro- approximately two and a half thousand people do our program i think we've invested in roughly around 300 companies out of that about 200 of those have gone on to raise follow-on funding um and i think the combined value of uh, our portfolio is around three billion dollars and if you look at the kind of say top 10 companies in ef's portfolio they're all worth over 100 million dollars each um and so I mean, you can kind of work out the, the, the stats for yourself, but, you know, the, the rough kind of like conversion rate is that we would expect about one in four people that start our program to end up in uh, a company that has raised follow-on funding uh, after EF within 12 months of starting our program. So there's a pretty, pretty high success rate of people being able to uh, find their co-founder uh, and build companies. And also kind of uh, now increasingly strong evidence that these are not just flash in the pan co-founding relationships but co-founding relationships that really last so clearly this thesis of investing in talent works uh, but i'm guessing you know obviously the most important part of that is who do you pick so we're just wondering how do you actually identify the talent that you want to invest in and you know what type of profiles of people do you look for and in particular what does it look like if you know for example you look at people who have been historically successful in founding companies with profiles like that, but then how do you identify people who maybe don't have the profile of historical success, but may be well suited to founding a company? Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. And I would say that we have got increasingly better at this over time, but we haven't figured it out 100%. If we, if we had, like, you know, we'd, um, we'd probably end up selecting way fewer people than we do, but like it, and it's still, um, I think that's kind of like one of the really exciting things about working at EF is that we're still trying to um, work on this problem of what does a great founder look like before they're a founder. With that said, I think we've refined it to a, to a pretty good level now. Um, and there are four key criteria that we look at when, assessing whether or not we think an individual is a potentially very strong founder. 
the first of these is like, do we just believe that this person is really smart? Um, and that's not just academic achievement, but that's more like, have they got a history of being a smart problem solver? Are they someone who can very um, succinctly explain their thoughts and their ideas in a way that is exceptionally kind of compelling to other people? Um, these are, that's probably like the number like the number one criteria that we we look at, and then we're looking at. Uh, as well, like what are their raw skills? Is that like kind of commercial skills for um, a potential CEO or technical skills? What have they done that demonstrates that they have an exceptional skill relative to their peers? And then it's not just about being being smart and having skills, but there are things, the things that really stand people out um, are, are they leaders? You know, the people that come onto our program, or if they're going to be successful, are going to have to um, firstly, find a co-founder. Secondly, uh, convince investors to invest in them. Thirdly, convince future hires to come and work for them. You know, fourth, convince customers to come and work for them. Maybe not all in that order, but um, you have to be someone that other people want to follow, uh, that other people um, would want to work for and work with. Uh, and so very often our very best founders have evidence um, of other people following their actions and decisions uh, in their careers to date. And I think probably the most important thing that really sets people apart and, and is uh, actually maybe the, the key thing that we look for is, do we believe this person is an outlier? Uh, and when we define outliers, we're looking for people who challenge convention in some way, that they are kind of almost like, not willing to stay in their lane that they've got historically in their um, path that they've taken, they haven't just followed the traditional paths towards success and they've been able to succeed outside of um, clear paths towards success. Uh, and kind of paired with that, do they have this almost um, relentless drive to achieve exceptional things? Uh, one thing I always observe is that anyone that gets selected for EF could probably walk into one of many very lucrative careers and have, you know, a very uh, contented life. Um, but they're kind of not willing to do that because they want to do something that is outsized. They want to have an, an outsized impact on the world. Um, and so that's almost like the, the core, core criteria that we look for um, in founders who are joining our program. And, and to the point of... Um, to the point of uh, what about people who, um, I guess, are earlier earlier in their careers almost, um, or, or like don't have like a ton of badges? That's what we that's what we thrive on, right? We we really believe in investing in potential. Um, <clears throat> we believe in backing people very early on in their careers before they have a ton of badges on their resume that suggests that they are already a great founder. And if you look at those, you know, those companies I mentioned that are like the, the top 10 companies, uh, EF companies by valuation, I think if you look at the CEOs in, the, in, in those companies, they on average have less than two years working experience between them when they started EF. And so um, ve very often what we're basing our assessment on is, um, is their achievement to date relative to their peers. Uh, and that's the real like kind of core framing we use across all of our criteria that we're looking for selecting people is like, what has this person done relative to what they could have done at this point in their life? And there, uh, is there a chance this person is on an absolutely exceptional trajectory? Um, and so that's probably the, 
the main framing we use when trying to identify potential founders. Thanks, Johnny. That's a, that's really interesting to hear and get get that sort of an insight into what EF looks for and how they identify sort of these potential founders. Um, and I guess you say that EF looks for these exceptional people, uh, like exceptional relative to their peers, but also these outliers. And what are the sort of signposts you really look for? So like for the different categories of like the technical people or the catalyst people that, that the EF uh, talks about, and maybe you can explain that a bit more. And are there any particularly notable examples of like outliers you found and uh, within application processes and stuff that have gone on to do big things through EF? Yeah, I mean, for sure. So, so yeah, as, as kind of you allude to, we look at different profiles of people. Um, I mean, generally, we just we try to look for anyone who fits those criteria I mentioned before. But uh, we do take a lot of people that have come out of research. We also take people that are pretty early in their careers, but have, have worked at startups before. Um, we kind of call people we kind of have uh, nomenclature that um, describes some of these people. So does this person have a technical edge? Does this person have a particular edge in a, a domain? Does this person, uh, is this person the type of person that might catalyze somebody else? We call those people catalysts. Um, trying to think of like examples of like outliers, either by um, achievement or behavior. A couple of people come to mind. Um, Probably, probably the uh, the most outliery outlier um, is a guy who was on our um, LD12, which ran in 2019. A guy called uh, James Dacum, who is the CEO and co-founder of CoMind. Now, James is actually the youngest person to ever do EF. He was 18 at the time of doing it. I think he's not yet 20, or he might be uh, about to turn 20 this year. Um, he uh, at the age of 18, I think he dropped out of high school, um, not done his A-levels, had patents pending for his brain-computer interface and was a, a Teal fellow as well. Um, so, like, real on every metric relative to 18-year-olds was just on an exceptional, exceptional trajectory. He's now building CoMind, um, which uh, raised um, a really big seed round from some of the best investors in London. Uh, and, you know, they're now on a really great trajectory. I think if you look um, look at some other profiles of, of people, um, someone who always springs to mind for me is uh, on like the technical side. So um, I found a uh, founder of Fabric Nano, a guy called uh, Ferdinando, who is their CTO. Now, Ferdinando is a biophysics PhD and... Um, you know, very uh, clearly, very very smart. Uh, came out of Oxford, doing his PhD in in one of the best labs in the country. But but not just that, he also co-authored um, a program called OxDNA, which was is like the world's uh, most accurate DNA simulation engine, or was at the time. And so it's like, okay, this guy's not just like really really smart relative uh, to Oxford PhDs. He's like on a, a kind of another level in terms of smart, uh, how smart and how skillful. Um, he is. And maybe just as a, a last example, someone, uh, again, who I think is, um, is a real outlier is, um, one of the co-founders of probably one of our, our, our most exciting companies at the moment that came out of a cohort just at the end of last year called Dishpatch. Um, Dishpatch's CPO, James, uh, James Terry, uh, he didn't go to university. Um, but at the age of 18, 
He was um, building a company called Study Rocket that he raised 500K for. Um, they had over 100,000 monthly active users. Uh, after that, he then uh, set up the UK's number one study planner app, which had over 200,000 users. Uh, and so like for someone who's very, very early in their career, they've almost done like an outsized amount than you, than you would expect them to be able to do at that point in their career. And I think that's, that's kind of the lens that we look, uh, that we look at people through. That's a, that's amazing. Thank you for, for those like absolutely incredible stories of these outliers. Um, and you, you briefly mentioned earlier that these people could go into many other lucrative careers. I mean, you yourself said you saw people around you going into consulting, banking and stuff. And I guess something that really comes to mind is what's EF sort of thesis and premise on convincing these outliers into going into founding companies? How do you sort of um, get these people to come onto the program? Um, and sort of following on from that, um, should everyone do it? And what's the best way of knowing if it's for you? Yeah, okay, two two great questions. Um, how do we convince people? Well, I mean, like, there was a lot more, we had to do a lot more convincing in the early days when there were no success stories. I think, like, success breeds success. If you, if you see people, you know, quitting their jobs, going through this program, and then ending up with companies that are worth uh, a couple hundred million dollars, uh, you know, only a few years after doing this program, that that's a pretty compelling reason to do it. Um, but in terms of, I guess, what, what why do I think it's a compelling proposition? Well, it's probably the the most risk free way to test out whether or not uh, you can find an idea and a co founder you're very excited about, right? So, like, I think if you are in a high um, kind of like if you're on a great career trajectory like now, right now, um, and you're thinking, hey, um, should I start a company? Without a program like EF, it's very hard for you to just quit your job if you don't have an idea of what you're going to work on uh, and you don't know who you're going to work with. I think like most people, if you did that, would think that you'd, um, you know, you'd made a pretty bad choice. Um, whereas with EF, we try and get you to an outcome as quickly as possible. You know, one of our, um, one of our kind of like um, internal mantras is that EF should be the fastest path for people, um, whether that's like the fastest path to realize that they starting something is not right for them right now, but hopefully more importantly, the fastest path for them to build a company and build a great company very, very quickly. Um, but at EF, what we do is like kind of we condense the discovery time of finding a co-founder and finding an idea into a very, very short space of time. So instead of you saying, right, I'm going to quit my job and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go through searching for co-founders and ideas by myself, you get to in this kind of like almost like eight week intense crash course period, try out different co-founders and ideas with different people and see is the one that I'm excited enough about to, um, to kind of commit to, to keep going with. And not just that, we, we pay you to do our program as well. So, I mean, yeah, okay, we pay you £2,000 a month. It's not, you know, probably going to be competitive with salaries you could earn elsewhere, but it should be enough to, to keep the lights on for most people who are early on in their careers. And so you basically can find out in three months, is there someone, is there something that I want to work on here? Um, and, you know, I think most people relatively early in their careers can afford to take three-month uh, bet on what is potentially a really huge outcome. And so I think that's quite a compelling, um, quite a compelling uh, narrative alongside the, the success that we've had so far to date. 
should everyone do it? No, absolutely not. Like, I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur. Um, I think it takes, as I mentioned, like, I think you have to have this real innate uh, sense of like drive to succeed and achieve outsized, like kind of have an outsized impact on the world. I mean, what's the best way of knowing? Like there's very little to be lost by applying to EF. And, you know, I think we've, I personally must have interviewed over a thousand people for the program right now. I've, I've worked with a good couple of hundred founders. I think I've got a pretty good sense now of, of whether or not someone, uh, someone should give it a go. Uh, and I, I probably my, my like kind of fairly cop-out answer to this is apply to EF and we'll interview you and we'll let you know what we think. Now, I, maybe you think, oh, the, you know, um, you know, what, what, what signal should I have before that? I think if you're the kind of person who, you know, feels like you want to do something big, do something really impactful, the idea of like kind of sticking on traditional career paths is unexciting to you. Um, if you feel like you could change the world with the skills you have, then I'd say, why not give it a shot? Um, and EF is potentially a, a great place for you to test that out. So this all sounds sounds very exciting. Um, and I think hopefully everyone listening would, would be inspired to apply to EF. So I'd, I'd like to make this a bit more tangible. So say say I had applied to EF, been accepted, whether or not I would be accepted is a different matter, but let, let's hypothetically say that's the case. Um, and so starting on this journey, so you've said it's like an eight week crash course. Maybe, maybe you can talk us through, you know, what would people be doing in this time? What do people tend to find difficult and challenging? You know, what does it actually look like? Yeah. So it's, uh, so the way it works is, we have created an environment which has been designed to um, give you the like, kind of like norms and uh, values to figure out, is there a person, is there an idea that I, I want to work on here? But EF isn't school, really. We do some kind of like workshops and talks on a weekly basis, but almost everything that we do is optional. Um, and you come to EF to to build a company and this eight weeks is actually like you know the first three months of the program is split into like eight weeks to try and find a co-founder and an idea um, and then a further five weeks to refine the idea that you're working on before you pitch it to ef um, what will you actually be doing uh, on the program in the first eight weeks it's getting into a team and trying to figure out is this the right team for me and you figure that out by getting into teams and trying to go and um, validate or invalidate the, the ideas that you want to work on. And so probably one of my favorite stats about EF is that 90% of people on the program get into a team by the end of the first week of the program, and 80% of those teams break up at some point during the program. Now, that is not a bad thing. I think from the outside, people think that founder breakups um, – are really bad and they are they're really bad if they happen after you've raised money after you've committed really uh, like far down the line but we've created this kind of almost safe space at ef where you can we um where we celebrate people breaking up so in the first eight weeks of the program you can go through as many teams as you want almost everyone will have at least two teams i've seen people go through at least kind of like six seven official teams before finding the right co-founder for them 
Um, and what happens if, Shreya, say you and I were to team up, um, we would log it, uh, we would log it online, uh, and a notification would ping into Slack saying Johnny and Shreya are now uh, working together in a team, and you know everyone else in the cohort would react with emojis on Slack and you know say well done getting into a team. But then two days later, after we've you know gone out and tried to speak to customers in the uh, area that we're excited about, uh, and uh, we figured out that actually this is a solved problem or it's just not a big enough problem or we find out we don't like working with each other because, you know, I don't wake up till 11 a.m. and and you want to start working at 7. Um, we say, hey, this isn't going to work out. That's cool. Let's break up. Another notification goes into Slack and that gets even more like kind of celebratory emojis. And we post in Slack that we, you know, why we broke up, why we were not the kind of right fit for each other. And people celebrate that and move on. So that first eight weeks is really a lot of that. It's like getting into a team, having a hypothesis about what your idea that you might work on would look like. Um, and then trying to go out and validate that. So that's going out and speaking to potential customers, uh, going out and like figuring out is the tech that you're talking about actually feasible? Uh, is there a, like a relevant go-to-market? Is there a big enough business here? Another kind of thing that we tell all of our founders to do is to bake in ambition uh, at the start of your company. I think EF is a, a safe space for people that want to be ambitious and are not scared of the word ambition and want to try and think of the biggest possible thing they can do. Um, and so... We, um, you know, we we try and that we try and get people to do that in the first eight weeks, like where they just go and spend as much time as possible figuring out is this stress testing this team, stress testing this idea, um, and then like we, you know, we'll have weekly sessions where we have like a talk or a workshop. Um, we'll have weekly uh, sessions where you pitch your company to the rest of the cohort and get feedback. Um, and you'll also have like a weekly one-to-one -one with um, with one of our venture partners here, who are, you know, exited entrepreneurs that have been there, done that, um, mo uh, mentored a lot of EF companies before, and they'll kind of be a thought partner for you and your co-founder, um, kind of hold you to account on the goals you've set yourself from the week before, give you a sense of whether or not they think uh, uh, EF is going to invest in this company, or, or any investor would want to invest in the company, and try and help like scale your ambition as well, and and, and get you to think about the, the most ambitious version of the company. Um, but that's what it looks like. And what do people struggle with? I feel like, uh, you know, find, finding an idea is, is not easy. It's not, it's not trivial. Finding an idea where um, you're not just solving a problem, but solving a really hugely valuable problem in a market that is very, very exciting and growing, or you've, you find a problem where you kind of, um, you unplug a, a, a bottleneck in that industry that's really, really hard to do. It's non-trivial. Um, and I think that's what people find hard. Uh, it's also super, super intense, right? Like you're meeting a lot of people very quickly um, and you're, you're trying to run at um, 100 miles an hour because there are these deadlines in place where, you know, you've only got eight weeks to try and find a co-founder. Every day you spend in the wrong team is 2% of your team building time spent, uh, you know, wasted. Uh, and so you've got to move very, very quickly. So, it is very intense. It isn't. It isn't for everyone, but it gets you to. It gets you to the right outcome as quickly as possible. And, and just to follow up, how how does this intensity uh, sort of play across in a virtual environment? As we've had to be over the last year or so, um, how has that affected 
how the program looks like and and I guess more widely how do you think it's impacting founders and entrepreneurs ability to connect with their potential co-founders yeah I think that we look we uh, we would probably we probably you know wouldn't choose to run things online um if we had the choice and I think we will move back to being in as in person as we can as soon as we can um I think it is harder, right? I think everyone knows that everyone's experienced the last 12 months. It, it's harder to make new connections. It, there's, there's exhaustion that, um, that you don't feel um, in person that you do feel in having lots of online interactions. Um, and I think it is like a, it is like kind of probably, you know, there's an additional kind of like intensity and uh, drain in some aspects of, of trying to find a co-founder remotely. I think the, almost surprising thing to us has been that the outcomes as in like the number of teams that we've funded and the number of companies going out to raise money and being successful in that have not been affected at all and i really would have expected them to be um i think that like some of the fastest growing most exciting companies uh that ef has ever produced have come out of the the last two cohorts so I think it's it's certainly harder and people have got to find new ways of figuring that out. Luckily, we've now run, I don't know, close to eight cohorts globally that have had to run remote. So I think we've learned a lot about how to build in um, best working practices around, you know, remote co-founding. But it, it, and, and I don't think it, I, it certainly doesn't work for everyone. I think in-person works better on average for most people, but it, it works pretty well. Amazing. Um, that's quite interesting to hear, and I think maybe uh, different to what people may have expected. Um, and you've given a lot of great advice, but what's one one key piece of advice you might give to, to, to early stage founders uh, who are looking to, to start something impactful? Hmm. What's one piece of advice that I would give to early stage founders? I, th- hmm. I think... And I mean, this is like, I don't think this is anything revolutionary, but I think like, uh, you just need to, you just need to go out and try something like the, the thing that probably holds most people back is a lack of sense of urgency. Probably the number, the number one kind of like characteristic that is common across all of our best founders is a real sense of urgency. Like they don't take anything for granted and they move as though like they've got deadlines all the time. Like they, like you cannot move fast enough. And I think like, how do you, so how do you kind of like breathe this in yourself? I think you've just got to go, okay, look, I'm just going to start something. It might, it might go terribly. It might completely fail, but that's fine. I will learn by just going out and doing, I will learn. Um, and as long as I'm learning, even if I'm not kind of succeeding in this particular idea or this particular pairing i will learn from that uh and i think that's probably that would be probably my number one piece of advice is just just try something and uh, and then if it doesn't work what did you learn from it and don't kind of like rest or do do rest a little now I, I i'll get in trouble for saying don't rest but then like you know don't say like okay that failed and, and be super introspective it's fine find the next thing to move on to what have you learned how can you approach how can you approach the next thing differently 
I think some people are still skeptical about the idea that you can build. Um, it's like how do it like conventional startup wisdom is that you should start a company with people that you've known for a really long time, right? And we just don't think that has to be true. And I think like the analogy I like to think of is what we've created at EF is that we bring together a bunch of people who are all in the same like kind of frame, um, kind of same mindset at the same time. And, um, and kind of enable people to, f- to find their tribe. And like this idea that like, I need to co-found with someone that I already know is um, like, I get it, but you, you kind of need to co-found with someone that you trust and that you've built deep respect and a deep relationship with very, very quickly. Uh, and some people think from the outside, well, how can you build a deep relationship with somebody in such a short space of time? But I think that most people, and I'm sure a lot of your audience can remember, for example, when they first started university, there were probably people that you met in the first week or two weeks um, of university that became really, really close friends, some of your best friends, and they're probably still your friends uh, today. And after three weeks, you felt like you knew them better than your friends from home. Uh, And I think that EF replicates that somewhat, where you're in this kind of really intense environment all together at the same time, uh, and you're going through this with a bunch of people who are in a very similar mindset to you and you're in a similar stage of your life, or at least in stage of life in terms of what you're looking to do next. And you can really replicate that depth of relationship um, very, very, very quickly. And you get people uh, who then kind of stay together for a very long time in the same way that you are probably still very close with friends that you met in, in the very first week of university because you've got this shared experience together and because you've spent this like extraordinary amount of time together that you wouldn't normally spend um, with people in a kind of normal professional environment and I think that's probably what what is why this works and why I, I think it's counterintuitive but it's the reason why it works. Thank you for sharing that I think it's it's definitely helpful to make it a bit more tangible and you know understand how how this works exactly as you've said Excellent. I think that's a brilliant point to bring this to a close. I think we could talk on this topic for for forever, but um, we want to say thank you so much for, for your time and for sharing your insights on this podcast. Thanks, Johnny. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. That was super interesting. And one thing actually that stood out to me was the idea um, of EF bringing all these, you know, really clever people together and they form teams but actually the aim is actually to fail quickly so that you're not wasting your time on you know something that's that's not going to work and really stress testing um the relationships between founders so if it's not going to work out you find out at an early stage and you commit your efforts to something more worthwhile yeah i agree i found that a really interesting uh, part of ef's program and in addition to that something i found uh, really great was this pre idea and pre um sort of team formation idea of, of, of EF has and investing in talent rather than uh, the teams or, or the ideas that people have already formed. And the fact you don't need an idea or a co-founder. Um, and in addition to that, the best time of founding a company that they found being one or two years after being in the professional world um, seems counterintuitive, but the stats he provided were fantastic. Totally agree, Tali and Prane. Um, I, I guess I would add that what I found interesting was the description of what what is a good founder and how can you tell success before they've started founding a company. Um, and Johnny Johnny describes that as 
the fact that other people follow their actions and decisions. Uh, this person is an outlier in that they challenge convention. And and he said this phrase, of re- they've, they've got a relentless drive to achieve exceptional things. And I think that was a really, really nice way of people get a, getting a sense of maybe whether they would make a good founder or um, to get an idea of what EF are looking for. So um, th- those are my takeaways. Thanks very much to Johnny for joining us on QTalks. The podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we would also like to say a big thanks to the team at QTech who have all been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.